This is the Pro-AV Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration only on market scale. Nowadays, we put a lot of AV on the ones and zeros. They want more features, but they want to see less hardware. Hello, everyone. I'm Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and welcome to another episode of Market Scale's Pro AV Podcast. We're still here at Infocom 2019, going from session to session, getting some great thought leadership. And I just walked out of one on theme parks and how AV is playing into the future of immersive experiences. I'm joined by two of the panelists from that session, Eric Boimlesberger, Corporate Manager of Guest Experience Technology at SeaWorld Parks and Entertainment, as well as Mike Wallace, Creative Director for Falcons Creative Group. Eric, Mike, Welcome to the podcast. How are you both doing? Thank you, Daniel. Yeah, doing great. Thanks doing for having great. us. Yeah, it's great to have you both here. Um, you know, I really enjoyed what y'all were presenting. Um, I, you know, I think just the name theme park attractions, like it draws people in. You know, it's uh, it's we hope def- so. yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely has a curb appeal to it. Um, you know, when when we explore this side of the industry for AV. Uh, do you both feel like this is one of those markets that there's a lot of untapped potential? Yeah, I think by design, um, our guests pay money for a ticket to see something they're not going to see at their cinema, at their local pizza place, arcade, bar, restaurant. They're coming to see something they can't get anywhere else. So the bar is continually driven higher. And guest expectations as they get savvier and experience immersive realms like Diagon Alley or Galaxy's Edge, they're now wanting that more they're craving it more this is something they didn't even know they wanted but universal and disney have delivered on it um at sea world we just built sesame street at sea world orlando another immersive realm so we're we're actually pushing the demands of the guests uh, ourselves and responding to the guests expectations and this industry can absolutely help to support us in the sense that we don't want to necessarily be bleeding edge in terms of technology, but we want to be cutting edge. We want to be robust and we want to be repeatable. And we want to offer, as Eric's saying, we want to offer something that no one can get anywhere else. Uh, from my point of view, as a creative director, really focusing on story and uh, guest experience, I want that technology to be as transparent as possible. And I rely on industry professionals like the ones that are at this conference to help us kind of camouflage and hide these things that can add so much to that guest experience. Right. Which is something that I think the AV industry is already really familiar with, mm-hmm. camouflaging the yeah, technology right? and making it making it not stand out as the experience, but to elevate the experience. Um, you know, I, I was at uh, the last session that Lewis was at, uh, which was on retailtainment and technology affecting the mall and how that's changing retail. And, I, you know, I think a lot can be said for how the experience economy that you both brought up in the session is driving change in these industries. I mean, it's making retail become basically less of a shopping experience and more of an experience experience. Um, theme parks already have the added benefit of being an experience. People go because they want to be entertained. So now it's about elevating that. Um, so I'd like to get some summary, some recap of what you both talked about at the session. So what would you both say are the biggest takeaways from what we just spoke on in this session, um, both from what you both said and then also the what your peers said on the panel? Wow. So uh, 
our our presentation in that session was focused on group guest interaction. You know, we're familiar with virtual reality. We're familiar with augmented reality. A lot of that stuff is very isolating to an individual. They're used to putting on a headset, disappearing into a new world. We want to find a way to deliver that without the headset, without the isolating components of that industry of VR. So how do we deliver unique and personalized experiences, which is kind of tying into Eric's pitch on that uh, on the, the session? How do we get personalization how do we deliver it in a group setting? And what does that do to the overall experience that makes it repeatable, that makes me want to get back in line and ride it, experience it, watch it over and over again? And our session focused on personalization. Um, how can guests get more out of their day, even from time-saving perspectives or from connecting to an IP in a, in a deeper, more meaningful way? So personalization can come in the form of uh, upsell or VIP ticket experiences where you come closer to an animal or you become part of a story or you're connecting deeper with a story that you already know. I think that with personalization, you're bringing the guest into a, um, a, a place where they feel comfortable, uh, where they're not the center of attention, but they're part of the story. And how does technology make that happen? How do, how do we create that path let the guests into that path, bring them through the path, and then make them feel like they were part of the story and contributed in a meaningful way at the end of that path. Yeah. What are you hearing from the guests themselves that's driving uh, the the future projects at theme parks? Um, because I know there's a line to straddle between personalization and that group experience that people want to get when they go to a theme park. Um, so what specifically are you hearing guests say, ooh, I want more of that? I feel like they want more total immersion. The The old paradigm that Walt Disney kind of captured was, I'm in a land, it's themed, but I can always see out of that land to the next thing that I want to go do. And for him, it was about circulation and ensuring that guests could experience his entire park, his entire vision. We're finding now, and it's really come to light with the advent of the Harry Potter attractions at Universal, Sesame at, at SeaWorld, Galaxy's Edge now at Disney, people want to get completely lost in an environment and in, in a story more so than they want to be kind of ushered through a space. And what we're seeing is um, you have your super fans and you have your, your groups of people that just want to live in your world. Well, how do, how do we in, in, create experiences that allow them to become part of our world? How there was very little mermaid of you <laughs> <laughs> part of your world. Yeah. let's all sing it um yeah it's uh how do we how do we become everything for every guest so there's going to be a day guest that it just wants to see and do everything and we'll touch on uh, you know small aspects of, of all our experiences but there's going to be a, a pass holder guest that wants that has their favorite things they want to do and how are we serving that pass member like, how are we creating experiences that are worth their time to come back so that they're different every time? Um, that's what we're seeing is that from the guest demand standpoint is that they expect a certain level of quality, but they also accept, uh, they, they expect a, a certain uh, level of diversity and difference in their visits. Yeah. So this idea of repeatability and the rides feeling unique every time you do them, I feel like this isn't a conversation people have for like, 
you know, a Six Flags ride, like a roller coaster. People typically go because they want that same experience. I want to feel the adrenaline rush. Why do you think the conversation is different for VR and immersion rides and, and things that are more driven by um, the storytelling or the narrative like Galaxy's Edge, where people are demanding, every time I go, I want to feel like it's slightly different? Um, I think that we have to keep in mind that VR and AR are still very young. Uh, yeah. I don't. I know that we've all built VR attractions. We've all built... Um, or we've, we've talked about building some AR stuff, but w I wouldn't say that anybody's really gotten it right. I think that, <laughs> you know, if we try, we get close, um, but the, per the it's still so young. Um, I think that bringing the group together is a thing. How, how do we see each other? How do we explore together? What's the right mix of AR, VR, and MR? Um, I, I get, and we just have to say that these are tools in our toolbox, and the only way that we're going to get better is by doing, mm -hmm. and we are doing, but the best is yet to come. Mm -hmm. I think the the real separation between you know a steel coaster, steel park like a Six Flags, and the things that can be delivered in a dark ride experience or a theatrical performance is adrenaline versus emotion. Right. Adrenaline is a drug into itself. You're going to go back on that just for that feeling that it gives you. Emotion and connection that's tailored to you or unique every time is what's going to keep you coming back to those other types of attractions, that whole other side of development that we do. Yeah, I mean, it's basically a total different game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So something, Eric, that you brought up during the session was that the future of theme park attractions and how AV plays into those attractions, a lot of the inspiration can come from tangential industries that are doing similar stuff, um, but each in their own right. So the ones you mentioned were museums, theaters, and video games, which was the one that really piqued my interest. So I'd like to break down each one of those um, and get both of your perspectives on on what they're doing right and how we can pull inspiration for the future of theme park rides. So let's start with museums. What are you seeing that they're doing creatively to really straddle that line between personalization and a shared group experience, which is what the theme park's all about? Right. So um, the one of the examples we used in the presentation was the Cooper Hewitt Museum, okay. which gives guests... Um, a pen that's a smart pen that allows them to tap things that they like in the design museum. The Cooper Human Museum is a museum of design. So by tapping things that they like at the end of their visit, they're given a collection of all these diverse things that might actually fit together. So it helps those guests explore their own design style and their own design inspiration. Um, I think museums and adjacent industry in general are working a little bit harder because they have to. They are in the same competition for people's time and money as apps, as video games, as theater, and as television. So they have to be creative, and they're forced to be lean a lot of the times. And my experience with working lean is that it, 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 it forces you to focus on your vision and not, not get too far away from it because you don't have the time and you don't have the money to talk about it. Right. right. And I feel like the... Luckily, at, at Falcon's Creative Group and Falcon's Treehouse, we get to work at all scales of development. So we do development for museums. We do for uh, retail venues, FEC, family entertainment complexes, and theme parks. The museum world specifically is a wonderful test bed for this kind of technology because they're, they are small. They are lean, as Eric says, and that allows them to be nimble. They can change out attractions at a pace that we just can't in a bigger theme park environment. And they're also not hampered by the constraints of a theme park environment in terms of safety factors and, and you know, robust ability in their construction, that kind of thing. So they're able to, to play a lot more with that cutting edge of technology. And they're not 
uh, also not burdened by long duration development. Right. You know, a, a typical museum experience could be a two month design process and then it's built in three weeks and then it's open. Right. As opposed to a, you know, a theme park land that could be four or five, ten years in development. Right. And and museum exhibits in and of themselves, um, you know, the, the guest expects them to be swapped out relatively frequently. Mm-hmm. So they don't have to go into it thinking, okay, we need to build something that's going to stand the test of time, you know, for a decade. Yep. It's only something that needs to be around for a season, and then you swap it out for something else. Um, the, the Cooper Hewitt Museum example that you mentioned, when you showed it on the screen, it really, like, I, I really connected with why it works on both the personalization and the shared experience front. Because the fact that you can go in there and you can draw something and create a design and kind of work with how you want it to be displayed as a wallpaper, and then immediately to your right, a giant wall that displays your wallpaper. Everyone gets to enjoy it, marvel at it, you know, get to interact with it. That is, I think, the perfect blend of you get to have a personal experience, only you create that design, but everyone else gets to share it, and you get to see you know, how your friends, family, how strangers react to your design. It's real world and real time social media. Yeah, yeah, honestly, yeah. <laughs> and you get to take it home with you, too, right. which is something that guests want. Well, after they've created something beautiful, after you've helped them create something beautiful, or after you've helped them share an experience that they felt was beautiful, enabling them the ability to take it home is critical. Another tangential industry we looked at were theaters, uh, interactive theaters. What are some examples of what they're doing um, that's inspiring AV professionals in the uh, theme park world? So there's challenges, right, with immersive theater. Um, there, uh, the, the example I used in the presentation was from the Willows, but uh, some of the creative people from that same group have uh, another show called I Want to Live in Your Mouth. <laughs> yeah, that's oh fun, isn't it? Yes. I'm interested. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um. But uh, the show the show is closed. You can't go see it anymore. But it was oh. in L.A. But this only took one guest at a time. Ooh, one wow. guest through the whole experience at a time. That's a paradigm shift because we're so concerned with THRC or theoretical ride capacity because we need to meet a design objective. Well, what if we just threw that out the window? What if we just said we're going to put people in an immersive, ha- like haunted experience, one guest per room at a time, but we're going to use technology to help pulse them through those rooms. But in those rooms, you have um, the ability to both share an experience but have a personal experience. And I'll I'll explain this. Mm. Uh, A personal experience is when you walk into a room and you are going to encounter a Jim Henson's Creature Shop thing. Okay? I won't give it away (laughs) in case it comes back. Crawling out of the walls. But you're going to encounter a thing that is, you know, it's going to might be shocking, might be terrifying, might be funny. It just depends on how you deal with stress. Yeah. But <laughs> when you get out of that room, when you get out of this experience, now you run to your, your friends that you went and you say, did you see that thing? And they're like, oh, my God, that thing scared the crap out of me. Or, oh, my God, that thing was amazing. Like everybody has a little bit of a different experience with that thing when they're not given the social cues of being with their friends. Right. And then now they're sharing a, an experience in a communal fashion, but they're sharing a very different experience. And that's something that you can only do in a, in a pulsed one person, one room at a time event. Theater has a unique ability to obviously involve the human side of these things. You know, The closest I think you get in theme park worlds are maybe the... Um, Seasonal events, Halloween, Christmas, Mardi Gras, sure. that kind of stuff, where you truly have a whole slew of actors in the streets interacting with guests that, in real time. 
being able to bring some of those lessons into a queue for an attraction or into an attraction itself, I think that changes the game entirely because that human kind of factor of, I don't know what that person's going to say. They've got a rough guideline of a script, but no real script. That's automatically differentiating everybody's experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Galaxy's Edge is probably a gr- like the perfect example of that because it blends the technology because obviously you're in Star Wars world, so you expect things to be cutting edge. So the, the digital signage and the immersive technology is there, but you also have a city's worth of people that rehearsed, became, you know, method acted these parts, became these people, and now you walk around and, and you're interacting with citizens of the the Galactic yep. Empire. They're all right? they're all in universe. Right. They never break character. Right, and that is, uh, I think you know, a great place to to look at theater and look at what they do right on, on the human angle, like mm-hmm. you said, um, to inspire theme park exhibits. Yeah, using technology to support audio and video and pulsing guests, taking tickets, all of that, all that behind-the-scenes technology is super important. But having the performers in the queue or in that experience, um, that's when it all starts coming together. But you can't do it with all the technology behind the scenes. And finally, and I think this is the one that probably might have the most lasting effect on how um, the rides and the attractions themselves operate, is looking to video games and that industry for inspiration. Why is the video game industry such a perfect industry to look at when trying to decide how do we frame how these interactions and these attractions work in a theme park? Yeah, Um, I think that the... The video game industry has outpaced the film industry for a few years now. So we're now looking at the development of IPs that are super important that theme parks and traditionally have ignored. So in my opinion, that's not going to last forever. You're going to see guests wanting to live the video game. I think the, the important thing when we're thinking about video games and the lessons that we can learn from them are it's real time decision making that affects your environment and your journey. And if we, try to apply those lessons to a dark ride or to a physical environment in a theme park, that's when we start to get into this new frontier of just untapped potential. You know, before the hardware limited us in what we could show to a guest in a ride space, it said, you have to bake this content because there's no other way we could deliver it to you. The projector had to be at this frame rate. It had to be at this resolution. When we give the guest the ability to influence that storyline, then the doors are open everywhere. There's no more limitations on how unique that experience can be. Every new group of guests, you know, four, six, eight people per ride vehicle, whatever it is, that differentiation results in a different story just because it has to. There's no way you're going to have the same eight people making the same decision. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's big. That idea that the user is defining the story and defining the ride more so than the designer. Um, does that create any challenges in the creative process? Um, fun challenges. Yeah. Yeah. Really fun, creative challenges. So it's not the same thing that we've been doing as designers. We look forward to doing brand new stuff because it's just like, well, what if this and what if that? And oh my God, this is going to be so amazing. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, but then the harsh reality of budgets and timelines come in and then we all try to make the best of what we have. But there's no shortage of great ideas, um, especially from this group here. Um, there, we can we can do all of these things. So that the time is now to do it. It wasn't like that ten years ago. It, it's it's here now, and we're seeing 
real-time gaming come into play in a big way with Smuggler's Run, and we're going to see the success or the failure of that dictate some of, of the decision-making that happens, whether or not we go pre-rendered or real-time. And I mean, you brought up a good point, both of you did, about um, how this can impact how guests pay for these experiences, too, um, and kind of reframe the the financial framework of a theme park um, because they get to then level up as they play more of these rides. And if they get to a certain level now, they're experiencing the level 50 version of the ride versus the level one version of the ride. And, you know, they can flash pass basically to the front of that line by just forking over another 20 bucks. Um, are you seeing that impact how um, how groups like Falcons Creative or the SeaWorld or AV professionals um, approach these rides, that kind of financial aspect? I think what, what's happened is we've we've gotten into a new era of spending just just as a as a collective group of people now. We're used to microtransactions, love them or hate them. We're used to free-to-play and pay-to-win. We're used to these kind of overarching ideologies that video games, especially mobile games, have, have kind of conditioned us for. So if there's a way to make sure that there's enough of a meaningful plus experience to be delivered in a physical environment using the same logic, why wouldn't we do that? Why wouldn't we give somebody, especially, you know, to Eric's point earlier, an annual pass holder who lives near a theme park, who's always here, who wants to have a different and unique experience, maybe they have the ability to represent themselves as a different type of avatar. Maybe they have access to a different type of merchandise. They have access to different scavenger hunts, different information, things like that, that tailor their experience every time they come into the park. Mm -hmm. And moving along that same vein, again, it, it starts to open doors that weren't open before. People are willing to engage and continue to engage with an IP, with a ride, with a park before they get there, after they left, while they're there, maybe even we start to be able to direct them to things that they wouldn't have seen otherwise because we can now track what they've done, right? prior experiences they've had. So, I mean, the the possibilities are endless when we start getting into that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, just to, to piggyback on what Mike was saying, just to kind of wrap it up there, is that the guest already knows how these mechanics work. They know microtransactions. They're comfortable with it. The theme park industry lags behind in providing that ability for guests to customize their ride experience mm -hmm. or their day. We do have some things, like we do have Quick Queue. We do have Express Pass. Um, those things can be purchased. But there are, there are smaller trans transactions that I think can happen that guests already understand the language of how this works. They're comfortable doing it. But the theme park industry is just lagged behind in implementing it. So last point I want to bring up is really what does this mean for the AV professionals that are here at Infocom, right? What does all this information on how we approach uh, the future of theme park rides, the microtransaction aspect of it, looking at video games, looking at um, immersive human experiences, like what should AV professionals be doing to better capitalize on this market and to take a step forward to make sure that the rides of the future stand the test of time, but also are, are unique and... and um, and personalized. I feel like there's there's a traditional expectation in AV that this is a monitor, this is a speaker, this is a VR headset, this is a tracked wand, light gun, whatever it is. What this industry can be doing to better prepare itself for work in themed entertainment is 
figuring out new ways to use that same technology. One example that we gave in our session was using uh, VR tracking technology without a headset for an experience that we opened up in uh, Times Square in New York. Mm -hmm. We used Vive lighthouses. We used Vive tracking pucks, but no headset. We gave people the content on the wall. And it's a 3D immersive connected experience that I'm able to share with nine or ten people to my left and right using technology in a way that it wasn't intended. Right. That kind of thought process is what's really going to set things apart in the future. Taking something that we know that works, that's robust, and that's safe, and using it in a completely new way. Eric, your your wrapping thoughts? Um, I think that AV pros can just relax because the, <laughs> the designers are out there. I mean, we are, in my opinion, like we're crushing it. The, the, the ideas that, that are being generated, there's no shortage of uh, amazing thought happening in, in our world that um, just... I think, you know, warranty repair is kind of one of those things that comes up, you know, like super make, sexy topic, making right? a good product. Yeah. You know, I think we're all we'll get behind that. Um, looking at your differentiators from both a service and a product standpoint, you know, what makes a QSC different from a Meyer? Um, you know what? Making those differentiators clear. Are they smaller? Are they cheaper? Are they louder? Are like, can they fit them in ride vehicles? Are you working with integrators that are building ride vehicles? So that we can say, hey, this ride manufacturer has onboard Meyer audio. Like, oh, that's a differentiator because we love Meyer. You know, that could be one of the things that if if whoever you work for loves Meyer, I, I don't have an opinion. But, you know, if somebody if somebody has a brand affiliation and both on the, the ride vendor side and on the AV uh, vendor side, you know, combining those two things together can can say, oh, we've got a more robust par- product than our competitor. Yeah. And, and not being afraid to put forth a new and unique idea. I think the the big thing that our industry really thrives on is collaboration across all disciplines. If we have uh, an AV integrator next to a show control programmer, next to a storyteller, next to an operator, and everybody is feeding off of each other, and they're all doing things that make the other person's life easier, better, faster, more compelling, Mm -hmm. we're all winning. Yeah. I think that's a great point to leave our <laughs> listeners on. Well, Eric, Mike, thank you both so much for joining us on the podcast. Um, and, you know, I, you said AV pros can relax. And I agree. But I do also think that this is going to be another one of those um, mixing of professions that we saw with, like, AV and IT. Um, I think AV professionals are going to have more of a chance to be those creatives as these industries blend and as the purpose of the technology becomes just as essential as the content that's going on there and the storytelling that the technology is a a larger part of. So I think it's an exciting time for AV pros to be in the theme park space. Absolutely. I think so, too. And engaging early and engaging often in the design process um, maybe not so much of an RFP, a response to an RFP, but coming to the table early. Let's making sure the content that we're creating is displayed the right way, not just what our RFP said. Maybe we don't even know how it should be displayed. Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, coming to the table early and often, I think, would be tremendous. Yeah. Well, again, Eric, Mike, thank you both for joining us on the podcast. If people want to find out a little bit more about your companies or about you, where should they head? Uh, for me, it's falconscreativegroup.com. Uh, SeaWorld.com. Parks Entertainment, 11 parks domestically, and maybe some more. You, you've got a website, too. We do. <laughs> we do. SeaWorld.com. No, I mean, you've got a website. Oh, do I have a yeah. website? 
Oh, I haven't looked at it in probably oh. three years. <laughs> well, that, that, that's sure. where I got your contact info, yeah. so it was relevant to me. Yeah, no, uh, I, heads down, man, heads down. <laughs> I love it. Well, again, thank you for joining us on the podcast and looking forward to getting you both back on in the future. Thanks so much. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode. And if you like what you heard and want to listen to previous ones, you can head to marketscale.com industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. Make sure you check in frequently. We have plenty of Infocom 2019 content coming your way. And make sure you find our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time. <laughs>